Hello everyone, my name is Cece. Me and Masood went to high school together and York University together. <laughs> and uh, I did my BA in sociology and I did my TESOL certificate, which is to teach uh, English to foreigners. And right after I graduated, I got this opportunity to go to Japan and teach English there. And I was there for two years and I just came back like a month and a half ago. Yeah. What did you say that certificate was again? TESOL, T-E-S-O-L. And I did it at York, but you can do it in many places. Is that an abbreviation? Or? Yeah, so it stands for teaching English to speakers of other languages. All right, so let's get into it. What made you choose Japan over other countries like, say, South Korea or China? Okay, that's funny that you ask because I originally wanted to go to Korea. So while the whole time I was in university, I was like, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go to Korea. But then uh, while I was doing my TESOL certificate, uh, one of my professors told me about this opportunity to go volunteer in Japan uh, for a week and a half. And we had to apply to get in and they picked three people out of however many applied. So luckily me, uh, another friend named Jerome and Lily, we got in and we went there for a week and a half and my mind was blown. Japan yeah. was amazing. The students were amazing. Culture, food, everything. So as soon as I came back, she told me about something called the JET program, which has been around for like 30 years. And that basically connects you with an agency there who hires foreigners uh, from English-speaking countries to teach in Japan as assistant language teachers. Do you say yeah. the JET? JET, yeah. So Japan English teaching or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Damn, you got a lot of abbreviations. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's called the JET program, J-E-T. If you oh. look it up. It should be right. Look, right now is applying season right now. So oh, yeah. If interested, yeah, they should definitely look into it. Okay, guys, you heard that. There's your free ticket to the 2020 Olympics. In Japan. <laughs> yes, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, she told me about this program and then I ended up applying and it was a very tedious application process. But I got in, thankfully. And yeah, that's how I ended up in Japan. What is it like being a foreigner mm. in another country? So being in Toronto, you don't really feel out of place or, you know, because there's so many different cultures and so many right, different kinds yeah, of yeah. people. Uh, so I immigrated to Canada, actually. And when I came in, I, like, didn't really feel out of place at all. I, Wait, like, hold on. Yeah. You weren't born in Canada? No. <laughs> Cece, do I know you? <laughs> I came when I was, like, 10, 10 years old. Like me, my brothers, and my mom. My dad was already here for like eight years. We got sponsored, like straight up fob. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, so I immigrated to Canada. But I didn't really feel out of place because there was so many... Uh, I'm from Sri Lanka. There was a lot of people from Sri Lanka. So I felt at home, in a sense, in Canada. Mm -hmm. But when you go to Japan, it's not the same thing. Because Japan is a very homogenous country. There's a lot of mixing. Like in the big cities, yes. But where I was placed, it was kind of like in the countryside. There isn't a lot of foreigners. The only foreigners that were there were the English teachers. So there was like about a hundred and something of us in like one whole like prefecture. So and they're all spaced out too. So it was a little like it took me time to get used to the pace of like not seeing so many foreigners or not speaking English as often. Everything's in Japanese. Everybody speaks to you in Japanese. So I had to get used to that. But did you pick up the language or? Yeah, actually, I had to because I was in the countryside and my students were, how do I put this nicely? <laughs> they weren't really interested in English, right? Oh. So they weren't like well motivated. So I had to like pick up the language to teach them English. So I would have to be like all the grammar rules and stuff. I'd have to explain to them in Japanese. And then 
I would teach them the English portion of it. Yeah, so I didn't, I mean, not fluently, but just enough to like for them to understand what I was trying to get oh, them to okay. do. Oh, okay, so kind of like me when I go to Montreal. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> just like do your thing until they know what you want. What was the biggest shock to you? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be the way how things are done or like a certain event mm -hmm. while you were in Japan. There was a lot of those actually, initially, and then I got adjusted, but... The work culture is very, like, shocking in Japan. So a lot of people tend to not take their vacation days. Say that one more time? Yeah, a lot of people tend to not take their vacation days. Because if you take your vacation days, you look like you're not working hard enough. Oh. Okay, yeah. So they, the work culture is very, like, drastically, drastically different. So that took some adjusting to... But so, so while you were hopping on that Taiwan plane, flying all over the place, they must have thought you were lazy then, huh? Yeah, so, like, I mean, I didn't care what they thought. Because I'm like, I worked here, I earned my vacation, I'm leaving, bye. <laughs> but this is, this is... When I ask teachers, I'm like, why don't you ever, like, take vacation? And they basically say it's because, like, it makes you look like you're not working hard enough and, or you're lazy or you're slacking off. So even when teachers are... So you know how here we have sick days? Mm -hmm. They don't have sick days. They nope. have to use their vacation days if they're sick. How many vacation days do they get? They think they get about like 20. So it's like what, four weeks? Yeah, about. Is that um, like here where you have to earn it or you mean just like off the jump you get? No, you, at the beginning of each school year you get 20 days. And you can use it for like I use, I get 12. Uh, the full-time staff there, they get uh, 20 because I got 36 days and 12 vacation days. Wait, what? So this is this is the thing. They know foreigners are not about that life. So they oh. your, the rules for you are different. So I can take my vacation and go and come back. And like that's not going to make me look any worse or better. But if they do it, they look like they're slacking off. Or you're, you're making the other people work harder. Because what happens is if you go on vacation, whatever work you're doing, it falls onto another person. Oh, like they don't have no substitute teachers or anything? No. no. The teachers that are there be have become substitute teachers. So if like I'm calling in sick, then whoever is available during that period I was supposed to teach, they have to teach. Like they get asked like the, the morning of the day before, like an hour before. Mm -mm. Yeah. So it was a really unhealthy work environment, I would say. Mm -hmm. But again, this is a cultural difference, right? So in Japan, this is very normal. Like overworking is super normal. Like saying, I seen some of my teachers stay at work until like 12 midnight. Midnight? And they'll come back the next day, like seven o'clock. Okay, let me, let me be more clear. Cause I went, I worked at a sports school and a lot of the students go on to become professional sports players, right? So uh, half of the time they're focusing on academics and the other half they're training. So they'll come into school, they'll have like uh, four periods in the morning. And they'll go to lunch and all the sports students after lunch they go to training so from like after lunch until like seven eight o'clock they're training all day with and and the teachers have to go and supervise right because they can't be left alone so what happens is when there's tournaments and things like that they end up staying super late the the coaches the, the teachers are also coaches and so <laughs> the teachers teacher, are janitor too like what? yeah because we never we don't have janitors i am not joking <laughs> Teachers are like, they're the parents of the kids, they're the counselors, they're janitors, they're coaches, they do it all. So it's like a one-stop shop then if you're a teacher. Basically. Did they pay you enough? I don't think so. I don't think so, no. Because, I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too much into that, but basically the teachers do way, way too much. If, for example, all the sports kids, they live in dormitories, that's 
part of the school. And if they get sick, they have to take, like the homeroom teacher has to take the student to the hospital. And the take care teacher of all of takes the student to the hospital? Yeah. Wait at the hospital, get the diagnosis, get them the medicine, and then take them back to the dormitory and make sure that they're okay. So they have to go and check on them and, and all, like basically a parent. Wow. Because they're in dormitory, their parents, they scout students from all over Japan. Okay. Oh, that makes more sense. Right, yeah. So, but they should have somebody in the dormitories to do those things separately. That should be like another person's job. So you know what I mean? Because these teachers, they're doing all these things plus teaching. So they don't have time to like plan lessons or do all the paperwork because they're all about the paperwork in Japan. Everything needs paperwork. <laughs> so it's just they're really overworked and... That was like the most shocking and frustrating thing for me while I was there. And like mental health is like a huge thing here. And mental health is not a big deal there at all. There's a lot of students with learning disabilities or like who lack affection or ADHD. Like a lot of the, these things get overlooked and they're put in like regular classrooms. They really have like a hard time. Like we had a kid who would like cut his hand in the classroom and things like that. During the class? Yeah. Because he was really, like, he needed a lot of help. He had, like, a learning disability. And he's also, I think, he was on the spectrum. Okay. That wasn't taken into consideration. And they put him into, like, a regular classroom. And obviously, if he's on the spectrum, he behaves a lot differently than the other kids. Agreed. And so he gets picked on. They would just take the pen and start, like, like poking himself and, like, scratching himself. And for me, like, looking at that was, like, why isn't nobody doing anything? It, it was a little frustrating in mm-hmm. that sense. Yeah, yeah. I can understand. Like my mom, she um, she's actually done. No, she works as a teacher's assistant okay. for kids with um, you know, special needs. yeah, special needs. So, okay. and I've been there a few times, you know, like for take your with kid to work day. Excuse mm-hmm. me. So I do know like you know what it looks like in that environment and yeah. everything, and seeing that you know even though they have a disability, that they are capable of doing so much yeah. more than what people. You know, expect of them, mm-hmm. but you just have to give them like a special care and like yeah. special attention. You need a separate environment right. for them, right? Because they don't understand the world the same way the other kids mm-hmm. do. So they just they kind of like turn a blind eye to that. And there was a lot of classrooms with kids like that. Wow. So that was a little problematic. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So mental health is not taken seriously at school, at work, in life in general in Japan. And I think there's a lot of people who are suffering but won't say anything because it's so taboo. It's still very taboo. So, like, the Me Too movement and, like, you know, a lot of those things were, like, trending everywhere in the world except for Japan. All of that is, like, hush-hush, no, we're, like, a very uh, harmonized, like, country where there isn't a lot of, like, crime, which which is true, there isn't a lot of crime. But I think individually people are suffering. There's a lot of people who feel alone and because they're, like, tied to their work and they have, like, think about the teachers that work until, like, midnight at my school. Yeah. They have like children. One of the one of the teachers, he has two kids, and one of them was a newborn. And he was telling me, "Oh, she was born like last weekend, and I haven't seen her." And yeah, because he leaves early, and then he gets home late, right? So there isn't that interaction. Like There's they're taking care of thirty other kids, but they're not. They don't have time not for their, their own, own kids, kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny that you um, touched on it a little bit about people feeling disconnected, because mm-hmm. I have seen a few of those documentaries mm-hmm. um, online about Japan, mm-hmm. about, like, the hermit people, about how some people will, like, um, shut themselves away from the world, just mm-hmm. stay in their little room, mm-hmm. and they pretty much don't leave it, and unfortunately, when they pass away, there's nobody, like, nobody checks on them, mm-hmm. so the only way that they know that they passed away is, like, when they smell the, yeah. you know, the rotting corpse, yeah. right? 
is that um like is it a huge academic uh, epidemic sorry in japan like does it really get talked about or is it kind of like swept under the rug i don't think it's as big where i was but in the bigger cities like in tokyo 100 percent it's definitely an issue because you know they have buildings that are so big and so tall and there's like people living all alone by themselves in like very small rooms who like don't have time to connect with family or they're working too much or they're just they just hate the world or the society because of how, how oppressed they are right so they do end up locking themselves out and i think it is an issue in the bigger cities where i was I would say overworking was like the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, people being lonely or anything because there's a lot of old people, as I said before. So there is usually in a household, there's like the grandparents, the parents and the kids. So there's like three generations. So there is that. But then that is also a problem because the parents are out working and the grandparents are raising the kids. And there's a big gap, oh, I like see. a generation gap in what yeah. they're learning. And so there's a lot of like, kids who get frustrated because of that some of the kids actually call their homerooms homeroom teacher like mom yeah Yeah. oh because they see them so much so much and they don't see their parents enough and they they like come and they like hugging is not a big thing in japan they don't hug it's like it's like a bow or like a handshake right so when kids hug it's like a big deal because they need like a mother's affection but they don't get that at home so they end up calling their homeroom teachers like mom and then you know, those kids get bullied because, like, oh, why are you calling the homeroom teacher mom? And, mm-hmm. yeah, so there's issues like that. But what you mentioned, the people dying alone and things like that, that's, I think it's in the bigger cities. And I know I, like, read about that, too, and how they have, like, a company that goes out yeah, and uh-huh. cleans out yeah. the bodies. They have, like, a whole, like, it's a free nonprofit organization, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an issue in the bigger cities. But it sucks. There's a lot of people suffering from loneliness and depression and like mental health. I th- it's all it all comes down to mental health issues. I think. I feel like that's um <clears throat> a pretty big phenomenon going on in the world that I don't feel like people are friends the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when we were growing up in the yeah. early '90s, a little bit of the early 2000s, like mm-hmm. you still had people who like genuinely cared about yeah. people and. Like, you felt more connected. But nowadays, like, I feel like present day, mm-hmm. even though we have, like, you know, the cell phones, the technology, all this and that, yeah. it's just kind of like you're more shut into your own world yeah. than you are, you know, just genuinely connecting with someone. You someone, know what I mean? For like, sure. Yeah. Just having a conversation, right? I think technology has, like, a big part to deal with that, like social media too, right? Like, I don't get me wrong, I love social media, but you have to know your limits and like when to put it down like Mm -hmm. but i think as parents they also have to like reach out knowing that this is an issue the kids are like addicted to their phones or like shutting themselves out to like play games in their rooms or whatever like parents should reach out more like they have to be a little bit more empathetic as well you can't just be like oh social media is ruining Mm -hmm. their lives and there's ways about it but i definitely understand there's a big disconnect i think in japan social media is not the issue i think it's just work yeah yeah they have a different mentality yeah there's just there's so many they're like bombarded with so many things they can't think about what they want and how they should live their life like nobody takes vacations like that drove me crazy yeah no i hear you man (laughs) you you really do need to take a break yeah this kind of connects to uh, what we're just talking about how did the children in school Mm -hmm. in japan of course differ from the children in canada okay So going in, uh, my friend Jerome, the same um, 
friend that we went to volunteer together, he went on the JET program a year before me. So he told me, when you come to Japan, don't have any expectations about your students. And I was like, okay, that's good advice. And when I went in, I didn't have expectations. So all my other friends, they were like, oh, you know, Asia, kids are like obedient and they behave and like all of this. And that was not the case. No? No, that was well, not. We told a... so many things. What? Exactly. Saying? So like there's a lot of stereotypes as well, right? Like Asian kids, they study so good and like they behave so well. Like their behavior is not, like good, I would say, in comparison to when I was in school. But they're, because I worked at a sports school, right? So the kids are really rowdy. They're very, they're like very opinionated, very like, like talking back. And so you have to be like a very, you have to have a big personality to take on those. Oh, so you can't back down? No, not at all. Because they are, they're so rowdy. My first year, I was like, what is happening? I felt like I was in a zoo. (laughs) I felt, I'm so, I've never been in a classroom, not even in Canada, as wild as like that one classroom I went to. I would dread it so much, and I had like issues with that one class, and I told the teacher I can't go to that class anymore. And they were like, "Yeah, okay, we thought you'd quit sooner." <laughs> yeah, they probably had a bet on you. Yes, they're probably like, oh, "When is she gonna quit?" But yeah, so I told them, "I'm like, I'm sorry, I tried everything and I can't because um, they're most the sports kids are there mostly for the sports, right? So they don't care about the academics, and then even if they fail a class, the uh, it's not like they're going to get penalized for it or like there's no incentive to do well in school and in sports. It's just no, you're just, not talking about Japan. You're talking I'm 100% about, talking no. about Japan. Yeah, no, I was like, so when my friend said have zero expectation, I felt like that was really good advice because that really helped. Because if I went in there thinking all oh, these kids are going to be angels and they're going to listen to listen to every word I say, I would have been so disappointed. I feel like I would have came back the first year. <laughs> so <laughs> they were just. I mean, you know how in, I told you, they don't have janitors. The yeah. kids clean everything. Like, so that's what I mean. Like, some behaviors are good. Mm-hmm. Right? They're very neat. They're very organized. But in terms of, like, uh, classroom behavior, like, they're very chatty. This could also be because they're not very motivated to study English. Right? Some kids are and some kids are not. So the, the way they divide the classrooms is a little strange to me as well. So, like, the first grade, they have, like, one, 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 two, one, three. And everyone in 1-1 is basically all the smart kids. 1-2 is they're like, okay, like it, they group them by the average that they get oh, on their tests. Okay, okay. So like by the time you come to 1-3, that's like all the worst kids bunched up in one class. Oh, that's a recipe for disaster. That is, a re- but they don't really like think that. They're like, oh, why should the 1-1 class grades suffer because of chatty kids in 1-3? But I'm like, that's not, this is, that's your job. That's where you come in. You yeah. know, you have to be the mediator and like, you create rules and things like that, but they didn't really look at it that way. So the class that I was like, I'm not doing was like a 3-3 class. So they're in the final year of like junior high, middle school, I guess, yeah. Um, and they were just done. They were done, not just me, they were done with all their classes. So they would be, they would make your life extra hard. They'd be reading like anime in classroom and like throwing things. Like I had a kid who would literally, he loves baseball. So he'll just like practice in the back. He'll like practice his like batting in the back. I am not joking. So there was also like some like sexual uh, comments that they made. Cause you know, they're like, even if you have a little bit of breasts in Japan, you're just like, wow. Cause that's just, there's like a, there's a weird fetish. There's a fetish for a lot of things there. But if you have like slightly bigger boobs, there's, they'll make comments. So that one class, they were like, they, they went like way overboard. And I was like, no, I'm not having it. 
What? Yeah, so that that was really shocking for me because they're in middle school. Mm-hmm. There's no way they should be behaving like that or saying things out loud. Yeah. And so that kind of made me uncomfortable. So that's when I drew the line because first the behavior was like, okay, we'll work on it. We'll like do something. And I was doing a bunch of stuff, but like three months in, I was like, nope. Because they started doing the whole sexual comments. And mm-hmm. I was like, bye. No, I can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, kids are not as angelic as you think. Wow. <laughs> they are. I feel like there's better kids. Like, kids behave much better here. I won't lie to you. I was not expecting to hear this. You just... Oh, another thing. I forgot. <laughs> kids, like, sleep in class. They sleep? And, like, teachers don't wake them up, which was so shocking for me. Again, so, the sports kids, right? They come, like, 530 in the morning. They train. They come to class. Uh, they do four lessons, lunch, and then they go to training again. So they're, like, super tired all the time. Yeah, it makes sense. Right? But they sleep in class during, like, lessons and, like, activities. So, and the teachers don't really wake them up, which was kind of, like, shocking for me. So I asked them. They're like, oh, they're better off sleeping because if they're awake, they're going to be, like, distracting. And I was like, okay, sure. If this is what you do here, then I guess I have to do what you do here. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of, yeah. Misunderstandings here about Asian kids. Yeah, because you know you, you'll be in class here, especially in high school, and yeah. then your teacher will be like, "Oh, you know the kids in Japan? They stand up when the teacher walks in the room, and they clean the classroom. Why can't you kids be like them?" I mean, the whole standing up and whatever—they like, do do that, but that doesn't mean anything if you don't behave during like the most important part of the classroom. Yeah, because like for fifty minutes, they're like they're they're not, in, not like, mentally there. They're mentally no, checked out. They're checked out a hundred percent. I feel like kids here behave better. Like, you know, if a teacher gets angry and they're like, be quiet or behave, they'll listen. You could tell those kids in Japan like a billion times and they're just like, ha, whatever. And they'll like keep doing whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, on to a lighter topic. Yeah. What was your course material like? Um, like, what were you teaching in Japan? Okay, so my job title is assistant language teacher. So I'm supposed to assist an English-speaking Japanese teacher with their lessons. So a Japanese teacher who speaks English, right? So I'm supposed to focus on the communication aspect of whatever they're teaching. So they usually do the core, the grammar. And then I would come in and talk about uh, how they can use it in like everyday situations or like play games or things like that. But what ended up happening was um, they would just let me do the whole thing, which is why I ended up learning a little bit of Japanese. They like the teachers would just be like, oh, it's your lesson. Just take the 50 minutes. They're not supposed to do that. And they'll like leave me in the classroom by myself, which is, they're also not supposed mm. to do that. Some classes I was fine with because the kids were fine. They behaved. Some classes, like the sports students, I was just like, uh, please, somebody come save me. <laughs> uh, but most of the times it went pretty well. Like I would do a lot of games. Like we would do a lot of Jeopardy. We do a lot of like role play and they would make skits and things like that. So I focus mainly on the communication aspect of English. Okay. Yeah. That sounds sounds well right. Yeah, just the planning would take a long time. But when you're in the classroom, it's really fun. Like a lot of the kids enjoy it. Because what they learn in the textbook is very like, they can't really apply it to everyday life. So when they see like, oh, I can maybe use this when I'm at the train station or when somebody asks me for directions or ordering food, then they get like a little bit excited and you give them a little bit of freedom about what they can and can't do and they get excited. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds um, like when we study French here, right? Yeah. Except here, I like did not like French (laughs) at all. So that's why I understood, like I was able to empathize with them because I learned French and it was very like, I was not at all motivated. They'll just like 
give me some papers and do your thing and you leave, right? Mm-hmm. So I like made sure I wasn't doing that mm-hmm. while I was there because right, it's true because I end up hating it because people they don't speak like how to like you don't talk the same way like you read exactly yeah Co- like use, colloquial yeah it's very important but I don't know I feel like the French education here needs like a upgrade <laughs> yeah I hear you I hear you I yeah. hear you because. It's a little wonky here too because like you can learn it until grade nine and then you have the option to continue. So yeah. it's kind of like... <laughs> yeah. Except in Japan, they're like forced to learn all through high school English. Uh-huh. Yeah. So a lot of them do feel that it's forced on them. And a lot of them would complain to like teachers. Like when, when they get like a low mark, they're like, I don't even need English. Why do I have to study English? Mm-hmm. And I'll, for the city that I was in is kind of true because a lot of them come back and they stay and they work there and they don't need English. But I'm like, if you're thinking about any, like if you're thinking about your, like in the future, like Japan is definitely going to get more like intercultural. Because mm-hmm. like already there's a lot of foreigners coming in and living and like, you know, there's a lot of mixed kids. So they should be prepared for that. Like if they want to be competing in like the global market or whatever, they still need English a lot of them, but they don't see it like that way well either english or mandarin because the way how oh yeah know, mandarin china's yeah. coming a lot of them do learn mandarin actually yeah 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 we have like a chinese not a club but a teacher comes and teaches them like once a week yeah so not bad i understand that while you were in japan and like you mentioned earlier you took advantage of you know the taiwanese flight for 300 oh, bucks yeah, yeah. what was your asia tour like because I understand that within your time, you visit like what the Philippines, Vietnam, Korea, and other parts of uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, did you go to China? No, I really wanted to go to China. I really, really wanted because China is huge and it's beautiful and it's so rich in like nature and culture, right? But I didn't want to go alone and I didn't want to go without somebody who mm-hmm. was able to speak the language. So I didn't, I like put it off and I'm, I'll definitely go in the future. But I just knew it was going to be really difficult without having someone who speaks the language with me. So I skipped on. But I went to Taiwan, Korea, Vietnam. Where else did I go? The Philippines. Yeah, I think that's it. Thailand, yeah. Oh, yeah, Thailand. Yeah. Just give the people, you know, like um, your fondest memory or, you know, things exciting that you noticed about like each one of your trips. Trips? Okay. Uh, My, I've never really traveled much until I went to Japan. And I, but I've always wanted to like travel the world, you know, like that whole dream. Mm-hmm. So when I finally went there, the first year I went to Vietnam and Thailand. And I went with a friend who I met on the JET program. So we were, we did like 14 days in both, like all together. And initially we wanted to divide it like half and half. Except we, while we were planning for Vietnam, we just found so many places and so many things to do while we were there. So what we ended up doing was doing like most of the trip in Vietnam and then the rest like four days or something in Thailand. Really? I would have thought it would be the other way around. Yeah, so did we. But Vietnam is beautiful and it's like so, so cheap. So, so cheap to travel. Uh, Even like even if you're booking like tours or like private cars to like travel from, it's super cheap. It's very affordable by the Canadian currency Mm -hmm. exchange. So in Vietnam, oh my God, I loved everything in Vietnam. The food was amazing. Uh, I think the most memorable thing that I did was a canyon ring, which is basically you like trek through like waterfalls and like in the mountains and you basically go to the top and you trek all the way down, but in the water and through the jungle. And it was so, so cool. And you get to like climb down rocks while like the water is like running. So like, uh, and my friend was 
like down to do all of it. So it worked out really well for both of us and we loved it. So that was like the most memorable one, like trekking down a waterfall. And, and then Thailand, I, I, like anyone who knows me knows that I love elephants. I absolutely mm-hmm. love, love elephants. So we went to a sanctuary and we spent like the whole day there. Like we fed the animals. We like just like watched them and gave them a bath. And then, yeah, we spent the whole day and we came back. That was my favorite thing in Thailand. Uh, I would say I went to Bangkok and Bangkok was not my favorite place. Yeah, so tell me a little about Bangkok because I've heard, you know, like some... It's sort of just like, yeah, it's a little, yeah. So it's, I feel like it's for the, you know, like for spring break, like you go there and you do your thing and you come back. But it's not much well, what of like... What you do it? <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of, there's like a specific place called Khao San Road. And that's like the party party street of like bangkok and that's where all the foreigners are and that's kind of where we ended up staying but we were only there for like a day or two um we were there to see the temples that were in the area the temples are like gorgeous and there's so much details and work that goes into it so we wanted to see that but we ended up staying there like for one night and it's crazy you'll be like sleeping like four or five in the morning and there's like still music banging yeah and that's where you can try like the the helium balloons, like they inhale it, it gives you some sort of high or something. Wait, what? Yeah, there's that. And then there's also, you can eat like scorpions and things like that. Yeah, it's, it gets really weird at night. And then when you go in the morning, it's like a completely different street because they turn it into like a market. They sell like, you know, the, the elephant pants and like all the other stuff that you can get in Thailand on that street. Mm. Yeah, so Bangkok was not my favorite. We went to another place uh, called Chiang Mai, which is a little, like three or four hours up north. That's where the elephant sanctuary was. Okay. And that place I actually liked much, much better. Like, the nature is nice. There's not a lot of people. It's not too crowded. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not stuck in traffic forever. So, yeah, that place I love. And they have this one thing called khao soy. It's like curry noodles. This is, uh, it's a dish that they make, like, specifically in, in that area. And it's so, so good. I highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where you can get it in Toronto. No, I, I don't think it. Uh, probably smuggle that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can find it here. It's Toronto. You can find it for sure. Um, and then where did I go? After that, I went to... I think I went to South Korea. I went to South Korea by myself. That was the first time I traveled alone. And that was... Uh, like, Korea is an easy place to travel alone because, like, transportation and everything is very reliable. And I stayed mainly in Seoul. So it's a big city. There's a lot to do, a lot to eat. And I love Korean food. Like, Korean food is my favorite food, so... I basically did an eating tour in Seoul. <laughs> um, I like tried on the, you know, the traditional clothes, hanbok. Oh, okay. Like yeah, the, yeah it, that was nice. And then I walked around like an old, uh, old town or old village. And they have all these houses that are like preserved. And you can walk around and take pictures, all of that. But I think my favorite memory in Seoul was this one barbecue place. While I was there, I met up with another friend. And she had a friend who lived in Korea, and he took us to this very, very nice, like, barbecue, Korean barbecue restaurant. Oh, my God, it was life-changing. I don't (laughs) think I've ever had barbecue like that in my life. (laughs) That was, like, my favorite memory. After that, where did I go? I think I went to the Philippines last year in the summer with a friend from Canada. So she met me there. So that was really, really fun. And we went to, we were in Manila for, like, a day or two, and then we went to... Cebu, and we did skydiving there. You went skydiving? Yeah, that was so, so good. Oh, my God. Ugh, I'd, like, do it all over again. But you know what? Like, you think skydiving is, like, such a, like, crazy experience, but it, it ends in, like, a minute. 
Like you drop for 45 seconds and then you float down in five minutes. Yeah. So it ends really fast because you drop really fast. Uh huh. It was like I think it was 10,000 kilometers. You said it was like it's nothing. You said. I like heights, so it wasn't like a problem for me. <laughs> Are you not about the heights life? No. No. <laughs> no. Would man. you do rides in Wonderland? Well, no. Okay, I'm fine with Wonderland, but my thing is like I would never do bungee jumping. Uh-huh. I wouldn't do cliff diving because I just get that kind of like paranoia in my head. It's like, what if something goes wrong? The equipment. Yeah, it's like yeah. the equipment, or like you know, like a freak accident, and then it's like. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, it could happen. It's not. It's not very likely. So yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not really. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 it's not my thing. It's not I, my cup I, of tea. I recommend like skydiving. That was so much fun. We'll see. We'll see, CC. <laughs> 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 we did it off like an island uh it's bantaya or something like that so anyways you go like you have to take a ferry ride into the island and you jump off and when you're like coming down all you see is like beautiful blue water and like little islands everywhere it's so nice the view was amazing it was totally worth money um and then we did canyoning again like waterfall trekking that was so much fun i love the food in the philippines Like adobo and mm-hmm. all of that. That was that was my jam. Well, that was like the the purple. Um, was it the ice cream made out of yam? Did you have that one? I had that in Japan. I don't think I had that in the Philippines. Really? Because、yeah. the Philippines is known for that. Wow. I can't remember the name of it, but it's you know that purple. Yeah, the purple ice、yeah. cream. What? I don't know. I didn't have. Wow. I guess I missed out on you that. You are CC slipping, man. I guess I did, but. I mean, it was nice, and then Philippines was good, and then but where did I go? I went to Taiwan. Taiwan was good because again, I traveled alone. But the first half, I was in the in Taipei. I was there for New Year's, so I got to watch like the fireworks out of Taipei One Hundred and One, which is like that the famous building there. And then the other half, I went and stayed with a friend who I actually worked with in Japan. So I stayed with her family and got the whole local experience. It was amazing. Um, and then her dad took us to like this other place called Sun Moon Lake. Like you gotta take a ferry and go into this island. It was it was beautiful. So Taiwan was amazing. And then I went to Korea again before I came back to Canada. Had to、yeah. get that barbecue one yeah, last time. Yeah, I had、huh? to go. I had to go for the food. All I did was eat. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There was like too many restaurants. I was like, oh, I wish I had an extra stomach. <laughs> But is it true that、um, South Korea is a bit pricey? I don't know. I felt like it was the same as Japan, or a little bit cheaper than Japan.、Hmm. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah, I think it's pretty affordable for again with the Canadian currency exchange.、Mm. I think it's really affordable. Asia is just really, really affordable. The Philippines was not that cheap, but it was cheap. I think Vietnam and Thailand was the cheapest for me. So so cheap. And like for, traveling from Japan was really. Really awesome because I was already there, so my flight tickets weren't like over four hundred dollars,、mm. like a round trip, which was yeah, which, which is really good. Yeah, I went to the Philippines for like actually four hundred dollars exactly a round trip, and then when you take flights in in the Philippines or in Vietnam, it's you can get flights for like thirty dollars. What? Yeah, so in Vietnam, I spend that much on food for my family. Exactly, What? Exactly. So when we were in Vietnam, we were like we tried we went to、uh, what is it?、Oh、my God, I forgot the name of the. Anyways, it's like the big city, Ho Chi Ho Chi Minh City.、Oh. Okay, so we started like south, and then we traveled all the way up north. And some of the cities in between were like really far, so we booked flights, and it was literally like twenty five dollars, thirty dollars, and we went on a cruise for two hundred dollars. So it was amazing. Man, I pump like how much it cost me to pump gas, like forty dollars. Right, that 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 I'm like I have to, I have to take the flight just to see how it is. And they're like pretty nice. They're、uh, budget airlines, but it's. 
fine. You're on it for like an hour or less. So mm-hmm. yeah, traveling was fun. I would I would have definitely stayed another year just to like even travel around. <laughs> like I wanted to go to Com- Cambodia is like on my list of places that I wanted to you go. You know who actually went to little... Cambodia? Who? Uh, you remember Frances uh, Sanchez? Yes. The Filipino? Yeah. yeah, she went, but she went like a mission trip. Okay. But um, yeah, she actually went to Cambodia, so you can ask her what's okay, it like. I will ask her. I really want to go to Cambodia, but I want to go with my brothers because they also want to go. Okay. So we actually tried to do like a family thing and a couple of times and it didn't fall through. Mm-hmm. So we're just like banking it for another time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So while you were, you know, doing your travels yeah. out in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, I understand... You met Amberine, right? Yeah. So uh, how did that happen? <laughs> okay, so Amber actually, Amber is my best friend, by the way. And she um, she went through the same program that I went through to Japan. And she came with her, like her and her boyfriend. They were trying to do it together, but they ended up getting separated to different locations. And she came the second year. So as soon as she came, obviously, I had to go see her. Okay. She's lived really, really far. Like, it. It cost me like how much? Four hundred dollars to go see her and come back because the mm-hmm. bullet trains are crazy expensive in Japan. Oh, that's the catch. Yeah, so I can go to the Philippines and come back for four hundred dollars, but I can't travel for that much. With like, it took co- how many hours? Like the bullet train, I think it was like five hours. And Wait, it cost- on the bullet train, it took you five hours to travel with in Japan. Yeah, to to go see Amber because she lives on an island, another island. Because <laughs> there's a bunch of different islands. So I was on the one of the main islands. She was on a smaller one, and then her boyfriend was on another one. Oh wow! <laughs> we were just like all over the place. But it was really nice seeing her there. It was we always talked about teaching together. Like, but obviously we want to go to Korea, but everything changed. So yeah, we ended up in Japan. It was amazing. Wow. It's nice seeing them and catching up. Yeah. I think she might stay like this year and then come back next year. So she's doing two years in total. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm, I think the group that we had at York Memorial. Yeah. Like, uh, like I talked to other people, their high school experience. Yeah. And I thought everyone had like, you know, like a similar thing where like everyone's connected, mm-hmm. keep in touch. But yeah. like, no, I think it's just, you know, really us. But yeah. <laughs> It's a shame that that school suspiciously burned down, down in that yeah. fire it's and they want to build sus. condos. Very sus. <laughs> uh, we're not here to talk about that today. No, that's, that's for another that's day. That's for another time, yeah. So, you know, just um just a little bit. Talk mm-hmm. about some of the other regions you mm-hmm. saw in um in Japan while you were there and you're staying, like what was your most memorable region? Uh, my most memorable, I would say Shizuoka, which is kind of like central. It's actually a couple hours from Tokyo, like two hours from Tokyo, I think. And it's memorable because I climbed Mount Fuji there. <laughs> you climbed Mount Fuji? Yeah, that was like, that was a thing and a half. It was like probably the most I've ever pushed myself to do like anything. It was really tough because like the climb is like very steep. And like I would have to take breaks like every minute. Mm-hmm. But I went with, like, a group of friends, and, like, they were all very understanding. Well, you just did it with friends, not, like, a tour guide group or anything? No, no, no. Me and my friends, we, uh, so through the JET program, I met these three other girls, and we're actually friends even now. So we, when we went there, we planned it. Like, each of our cities actually took the new incoming teachers to the Fuji trip, but we decided that we wanted to go together. So we planned it separately, and we went. We didn't do it all in one day. We did like half the climb. We stayed at a hut on one of the stations because there's, I think there's nine stations 
uh, you start climbing from the fifth station, and then the top is the ninth station. Wait, wait, sorry. So why do you start out at the fifth, not the first? If you go all the way to the bottom, you'll be climbing for a couple of days, I think. <laughs> and oh. also, it's, I think it's for more experienced climbers. I think... I don't even know if they do it from all the way from the base, but there's like a bus that takes you to fifth station. Sorry, I'm a little bit ignorant because no. like I know Mount Fuji is one of the tallest mountains, of course, in the yes. world, but I'm just not familiar with the region okay, okay, or yeah, know yeah. too much about the whole experience. So, I mean, yeah, okay, so there's, I don't know if there's eight or nine stations, but it, the, the mountains like divide into different stations. And every time you get to a station, there'll be like a rest stop plus like bathrooms and things like that. The fifth is where usually everybody drives up to like, you know, get their pictures. Even like tourist buses come up to the fifth station. And then that's where people usually start climbing from. Mm. So for, for us, that was the base. Fifth station was the base. And from there, it's like three, actually don't know how many miles it is or kilometers. I don't remember. But yeah, so we started climbing around, I would say, three or four o'clock. And we got to... In um, the AM? No, no, no. In the PM because we wanted to catch the sunrise. So we started later. So around like three or four, I think it was three, and then we got to our hut where we're staying for the night, not necessarily the night. So we got to our hut around like seven o'clock, and then we stayed, like we had dinner. Like you have to book all of this like well in advance, and they have like, and the bedrooms are like super tiny, and like you share, obviously. And like there's like no toilet paper, and you can't flush anything because there's like no plumbing up there, right? And you can't like brush your teeth or anything like that. Wait, what? What do you do? Here? You just like, like it? It's like a whole different like system. It's just like air. Like you know how the air at the on the airplanes how it's just like yeah, air uh, suction uh-huh. or whatever it is. It's kind of like that. But how do you wipe your butt? They have a bowl day or something or? They have they have one of those, but it's not very like yeah. So we I mean we obviously brought toilet paper and knowing oh, what okay, we're gonna okay. run into. Oh, okay. Oh, you see, but you just can't flush them down. You gotta just um, throw them in the trash mm-hmm. just to avoid clogging and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed there and then woke up at 1 a.m. and started climbing to catch the sunrise. And up until that point, I think for me was the hardest part. After that, it was pretty like smooth sailing. But the only issue was it's, it gets very crowded because everybody's trying to catch the sunrise, right? Oh. So from the bottom up, everybody's taking their own pace and there's a lot of space. But when you get to the top, it's like uh, much, what is the word? Steeper? It's a little bit steeper, but there's also not a lot of space for... Like, oh, more narrow. It's more narrow. There. Narrow. So that's... it gets deeper and more narrow. Right. That's the word. Narrow. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, okay. Every, so everybody's climbing up in a single file, in a sense. And you have like your headgear, which has like light so you can see because it's super dark up there. Uh, and it's super cold. Like, you know, the yeah, higher you higher, get, yeah, like, the colder it is. But we were like pretty prepared being from Canada and all. We brought all of our gear. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you good, you good. <laughs> we were fine. Uh, but people at the top were like shaking and like hugging and huddling together because it was really bad. But yeah, so you start climbing and you're like in single file. And at that point, actually, all four of us got separated. I don't know how. Because like it's single file, but at some points you can like kind of move your way out, move, move your way up faster. So I think I went up ahead and then one another person all the other three girls were like at the bottom and then at some point we like crossed each other but don't know where so we i watched i caught the sunrise but i caught it by myself and i was kind of like no i want to catch it with my friends but it was still nice there was a lot of like foreigners so we like sat there and talked and had our had our snacks and then when the sun would like finally came out we like started climbing to the top and i went to the top and you just take a look around. There's, like, not much to do. They have restaurants. They have a post office. You can send, like, uh, postcards from there and things like that. 
which I, I sent my family one. Just mm. be like, look, I'm at the top. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. And then I like chilled there for a bit, I walked around, and then I started climbing down. And then on my way down, I was like taking a break. And I was like, I, I, in my head, I thought that my friends already left, right? I'm like, we'll meet them at the fifth station because that's the base. While I was sitting there, they like, somebody came, and I had music on, so like somebody came and like hugged me from the back. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, like, where did you go? We lost you. And then they were like, oh, we lost each other. And whatever, we found each other. But one of them actually, uh, like we bought um, the oxygen tanks. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you could. Yeah, higher elevation. Like, yeah, yeah, so she had a hard time breathing and she ended up using it, thank God. And even though we got separated, the tank was with her. So she was able to use it, but. Uh, no, she wasn't able to. So another, the other, one of the other girls found her, and she had the tank. Okay. And when she found her, she was like pale, like she was literally Ooh, fading. Yeah. Damn. So they, she was lucky because they found each other on time. And there was a lot of those cases actually at the top. A lot of people weren't like able to handle the cold or the wind, and like you know, once you're already at the top, it's very emotional for a lot of people as well because it's like a tough climb. Some people do it in like one go. Like we stopped for the sunrise. Some people climb all the way to the top and they climb down. And that's like I think I don't think I could have done that, but yeah, we did it. Came back, and went back home. And they have something called hot springs in Japan. I don't know if you know. They're called onsen. Oh yeah, I do know about that. Yeah, and it's basically hot baths that you can like soak yourself in, and like you after you climb something like that, you need to because your body is just so it's so tense done. and yeah. beat up, right? All the elements. I went to work the next day and I was fine, but like. Like, so I went back Monday, and, but Tuesday, I was like, I couldn't even wake up. I called in sick. Well, yeah, because your body, you don't realize how much pressure no. is. And especially, like, the higher atmosphere yeah, that you're climbing on. Yeah, It was tough. It was really tough, but I was so proud of myself because I'm not really, like, an active person. I like hiking, but I don't do hiking, like, Mount Fuji mm-hmm. hiking. So I was not at all ready for, for that climb. No, I feel yeah. you, man. I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. <laughs> the, like, here, we often talk about the experience athletes get when they go to Denver, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it's like the Mile High City, but yeah. Denver and Mount Fuji, two different things, man. They are, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Shizuoka I like because of Fuji. Um, I actually really loved where I stayed, which is, it's called Fukui Prefecture. F-U-K-U-I, Fukui. And I like, because I love nature. And, like, where I was, there's so many, like, mountains and so many rivers and so many forests. Me and my friends would just, like, drive into a mountain and, you like, find a tiny village there. And then there's always something to do. So that was really nice. Um, and then I also went to Hokkaido, which is the same, like, same level as Canada. Because you know how Japan's kind of, like, in a slant. Oh, yeah. So where I was, it's kind of, like, warmer. But Hokkaido is, like, colder. That's where all the winter sports and things like that happen. Um, so I went there for the snow festival, like, in February. And it was so, so cold. It was, I feel like it was colder than Canada, or I just wasn't used to it at that time. And it was so cold, but it was beautiful. They have really good food there. A lot of seafood, a lot of, like, um, ramen. They have, like, the, you know, the Sapporo beer? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's made in, in, in Hokkaido. Like, oh. Sapporo is the city's name. It is. Yeah, yeah. So we went to, like, the, the beer museum or whatever, tried, sampled a bunch of beer. It was really nice. So Hokkaido was super good because it kind of reminded me of Canada. I felt like I was back home because of the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, All the cold weather yeah. Yeah, brings back your fondest memories. Yeah. Huh? Build a snowman. <laughs> uh, Tokyo, Tokyo is nice, but Tokyo is like not my vibe at all because it's too much happening there. 
it's like so busy all the time any time of the day you go it's busy um kyoto is beautiful because it's like the mixture of like traditional and like the modern so that was really nice yeah i liked everywhere i went to in japan actually that's good <laughs> yeah, not, a, not a single place i didn't like yeah good overall experience yeah so when you were in japan because yeah. i know you spoke in korea like you know you tried the traditional clothes and you of course you ate a lot oh yeah yeah <laughs> in japan did you um like partake in any of their uh ceremonies like how immersed in their culture did you become okay because i was in the countryside i would say i was pretty immersed because i had no other like foreign uh outlet in a sense to do like other things so i my teachers or my coworkers would invite me to a lot of things that they're going to or like doing and they really want you to experience like japanese culture how it's meant to be so they'll invite you to like like uh very local festivals and like take you to the temples and like partake in like uh like the dances and things like that so that was really fun and at my school that i was working at there was a there was an english teacher who also taught japanese tea ceremony or like the way of tea and she wanted me to like she wanted to do english like communication practice but she wanted me to teach her how to teach tea ceremony oh in english because she wanted to teach foreigners so so she would teach me like for free basically in exchange for like english communication practice and that was that was a really like humbling experience just because i don't know if you've ever seen like the ceremony so it's basically this like you make like green tea right but it's not you just don't get like a cup and a plate and you just make it like that they have like a billion steps and it's all done very like very gracefully and very patiently um and it's all about giving your guests showing your guests like hospitality like the highest hospitality that you can show them um so you take like you gotta like clean your like bowls and you have to place the spoons a certain way and you gotta open like the water kettle a certain way and like serve the thing a certain way and you gotta sit in a position called seiza which is basically like on your knees and you like sit on your feet so you're like that for about like 15 20 minutes and by the end of it you can't feel anything <laughs> <laughs> it was so painful in the beginning but you get used to it eventually but they do it like it's nothing my teacher would could do it for like an hour if she had to but that was really cool because i'm not a very like patient person but that taught me a lot of patience because um, you really you really have to do like every single step like even picking up things and like putting them down like there's there's like a bunch of rules that you have to follow so that was really that was a really cool experience for me um and then other co-workers would invite me to like their local uh towns each town had their own like little celebration where they all you know dress up in the gear and they carry like the gods around the town and there's a lot of people that dance around in it and there's there's a bunch of stuff that happens in it i didn't really understand a lot of the significance of like the ceremonies but they wanted me to come and see so i'd go see mm-hmm. um there was actually uh there's like a techno monk so we have like so my prefecture is known for like zen practice so where they meditate and like and steve jobs actually talked about like everyone should go to this place once in their lifetime so that's really popular there but there's a monk who who like uses a lot of lights and like techno music in his like uh how do like his religious practice i guess and he does it like once a year and he invites all these people out that was a really cool experience 
What kind of techno music was he playing? Like know, Daft Punk like, or? No, no, no. Like he like produces his own thing. Yeah, he like lived abroad and stuff. And how the monk or like the temples work is like that role. Like as a monk, it gets passed down to the same family over like many generations. So he knew as like kid that he was gonna okay. be looking after this yeah. temple. So, but while he was studying, I think he went abroad somewhere. And he got really into like techno music, and when he came back, he like tried to incorporate it into his practice, and yeah. Wow. Like we get so many people come actually just to see it because it's like, wow, what is this thing? <laughs> what is really? techno monk? Yeah. Yeah, that was so. That was that was really cool. Um, what other traditional things? I feel like everything was so traditional. Everything I did was so traditional. Because, <laughs> like I told you, there's a lot of old people there. So everything I did with them, I felt like very like, wow, this is like very ancient tradition. And they do everything a certain way. So I felt really like I was partaking in ceremonies all the time. Mm-hmm. Even in school, like uh, sports day or like they have this thing called I told you, sports day and cultural day. And basically, the students actually, this is the one thing that they look forward to their entire school year, where kids get together, like, they, they're assigned to teams, and all the grades and all the genders, they get all mixed up, and they're separate into different groups. And they compete against each other for, like, the title. And then the culture day, which is, like, the following day, is where they, like, make all a bunch of sweets, and they sell them to collect money for their clubs. So they that was really nice. And they have... Uh, Everything that you do has an opening and closing ceremony. So the principal will come and everybody will stand up and sing the national anthem and the school song. And my school, they sang three songs. So uh, the high school song and the junior high school song and then the national anthem. And then they'll give a speech. And then at the end, they do the same, like, same thing to close the ceremony. So that was, that was interesting. So different from like how we do things in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you spoke about this. I guess touched on it mm-hmm. um, earlier. Mm-hmm. What was religion like in Japan? Okay, this is a good question because when I went out, I was really hoping I could find a church there that I can go to. Um, but it was really difficult because I was in the countryside again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of foreigners. So there wasn't a lot of churches that catered to, like, English services. Because oh. even if I went to a Japanese... There's a lot of Japanese churches, but there was no way I was going to get what they were saying or, like, get into it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, like, try. Like, there was a friend who introduced me to a church that she goes to, and if I'm lucky, maybe, like, once a month, a pastor will come and do an English service, but it was very, like... It was not very consistent. Mm-hmm. So, like, could be, like, a hit or a miss. So what I ended up doing was watching sermons at home. Mm-hmm. And um, a friend in Canada, uh, a friend from the church that I go to here, she would call and we would have the conversation that oh, yeah. I needed to have. Or I'll like, talk to my parents. Mm-hmm. And that was like my, my way of going to church in Japan. It was kind of hard. But I know that in the bigger cities, there's like a bigger Christian community. There's like churches and services where people meet up at like... Uh, a person's house and they'll do worship and you know somebody will give the sermon well, so but, you got more house churches kind of thing in the bigger cities yeah mm-hmm. but in the biggest cities, there's also english churches too like in tokyo you can find a lot of english english churches really yeah because there's a higher uh foreign population right there. 
Um, so English is a standard language, so it caters to more than one crowd, but not where I was. So I had to like do <laughs> make do with <laughs> what I had. What you had. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as Tokyo, or sorry, not Tokyo, Japan as a mm-hmm. whole, like, do they identify themselves like a Taoist kind yeah. of? Yeah. Uh, Religion is very, like, unclear to me. Like, it's not... So, you know how here, or like in many places, people have, like, a faith and they follow it and they do it and they understand it, mm-hmm. right? But in Japan, um, a lot of people, they would go to, like... They call them jinjas, which is just, like, the temples. And they'll go there and they'll, like, do their prayers. Like, they clap and they ask for what they need and they clap and they, like, put money in and they leave. But it's not something that's like a very consistent thing they do it when they want to when they can but they it's just my from my understanding i could be completely wrong when i spoke with a lot of people they weren't really like religious a lot of people don't identify with any kind of religion but uh, a lot of them believe that there's god in everything oh like a pantheist kind of view sort of yeah wait explain pantheist well pantheism is like like what you just said like god okay. is in everything like okay. kind of like literally like he's in the trees he's in okay yeah so that's rocks, how it is you know so that's what like i think taoism like uh has that incorporated into their religion so everything that they do like the way they cut vegetables to the way they fold clothes to the way they sweep and things like that they think there's god in all of it so that's why they take very good care of everything they keep everything oh, very oh okay yeah so there is that but every time i try to have like a religion conversation with my coworkers, it just didn't really go anywhere mostly because a lot of them weren't following any religion mm-hmm. or like they didn't really it it kind of became like a cultural practice to go to the jinja and do the thing and then leave as opposed to like a religious practice oh, okay you know I, mean? it wasn't I know what a you very, mean uh what is the word oh, i can't think of the word <laughs> It wasn't a very conscious, like, decision. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go and, like, pray and do mm-hmm. this. It was kind of just like, oh, like, on New Year's, we go to Jinja and we do this thing. And then um, in August, they have something called Obon, which is, like, it's a day of the dead. Or uh, they go and they pray to their ancestors. So that's, like, the biggest holiday in Japan, Obon. And they'll everybody goes back to their cities, like, from the, from the city to back to their hometowns. And they go to, like, the ancestral burial grounds and they'll, like, you know, pray and, yeah, do that thing. Okay. Yeah. So I, don't, I didn't really, like, get a clear response in regards to religion in Japan. It was really tough. Yeah. A lot of people were just like, yeah, I don't really believe in a religion. Like, a lot of my students didn't have a religion. Um, they were just, they're just like, oh, we just do, like, what our parents tell us to do, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I feel. I guess in some ways it's uh, sort of similar to how North America is now, like mm-hmm. current day. Yeah. Because uh, people either go to church like on Easter or oh, like yeah. Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, like they it's don't kind really... of like that. Yeah. Yeah, they're not actively like seeking God like twenty four seven. Yeah, and they're also mm, there isn't a lot of encouragement to be like even when we went to the the techno monk the place. I think, like, he did an interview and he was saying a lot of people are losing touch with, like, the religion in Japan. So that's, like, his way of bringing young people in because, like, techno is, like, a modern thing. Mm -hmm. And so they're, like, making initiatives, but, yeah. Yeah, I feel it kind of, um, 
brings into discussion, I guess, kind of going uh, segue or off topic in mm-hmm. a sense. But because, um, like, you talked about the age gap a little bit earlier. Yeah. And, like, one of the things that everyone here is thinking is, like, you know, Japan's going to have a problem in the next couple of years because they're not having any children. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that idea that the older people in Japan really outweigh um, the younger population. Oh, yeah, like, that's you know, a big they're issue not. right now, yeah. Do you see anything, like, you know, going on there? Like, oh, yeah, like, the aging population is a huge issue in Japan. Um, in my city, they closed down two schools the year I came back, yeah, so, like, this year. They closed down two schools because there's not enough kids. So, so it, it like brings into question like healthcare and things like that for the elderly. And there's also that issue that you mentioned before: people dying alone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people dying alone are old people. They live in these like super tall buildings that, and they don't want to go down. They can't go down because a lot of the buildings don't have elevators. You got to take the stairs, and they end up staying in their rooms and dying and rotting. And there's not a lot of people looking after them. So. Aging population is a huge, huge concern, but it doesn't seem to bother them that much. I think they're waiting for it to hit like peak to do something about it. Oh. And that's not really a good yeah, idea. I kind of like the way how most things are done. Yeah. Like, wait so, till it's on fire. Yeah. I, which I don't understand because this is going to like bring down their entire economy. There's a lot of jobs you're going to have to replace and you're not going to have the supply. Right, because they don't really... Um like like us rely on immigration or really no. uh, encourage oh, it. Oh, actually, right? now that you mention it, that's a good point. So they, they've they actually uh, eased up on the immigration. Seriously? Policy. Yes, because of the aging population. But they're very like, I don't think they're doing it very ethically in that sense. So they're bringing in a lot of like uh, uh, people from like Vietnam and the Philippines to fill service uh, level jobs. Also at the bottom. Yeah, it's at the bottom. And they're also like, I don't think they're being looked after very well. Like there isn't a like they're like they want they know they need people, right? So they're bringing in all these people, but they're not providing them resources to adjust accordingly. So they a lot of people come in like with a like a blind eye, and they have to figure things out on their own. And there's a lot of chaos in that, and they could definitely ease up that phase of the like transfer. But yeah, so. They are bringing. They're they're definitely bringing in. They're opening up their immigration policies. For you know, sure. one of the things I don't understand, and I even feel it here. Yeah. Is like, don't be wrong. Immigration is a good thing. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. the only reason we're here is because our parents were able to right. immigrate, right? Right. But why don't countries encourage people within their own countries, you know, to really, you know, breed fruitful and multiply, <laughs> <laughs> and you know. Like replenish the population, you know, like that's also a good point. And then this also goes back to overworking in Japan. This is the biggest. This is this to me. This is the biggest problem that that country has as a whole because people are overworking, so they don't have time to meet people that they want to get married to or like have a relationship with. And even if they do get into a relationship or they get married, they're working so much they know they don't have time to have a child or look after a child. So, and a lot of women are deciding not to get married because they want to stay in the work, uh, working force. Like, the laws are kind of in their favor a little bit now. Not as much as, like, you know, the West, but a little bit better. And they want to work, they want to make money, and they want to be independent. So, and Japan could do so many things, you know, provide incentives for people who have kids or, like, 
give better maternity leave and like services and like childcare and things like that. But they're not. That's what I'm telling, saying. Like they're waiting for it like peak mm. to do something about it. And but they could be doing something right now. So a lot of people are too busy working to have kids. That's like the biggest problem with the aging population and the gap. Yeah. So they're bringing in immigrants, but I don't know how much that's gonna benefit them because a lot of these people, like you know, their income goes back to their own countries, right? So it's not gonna. Oh, they're not that. really keeping it in house and then you know boosting. The I mean, they're, they're paying taxes and whatever, but a lot of the money gets sent ho- back home because they're here to make a better life for their families back home, right? Um, and also in Japan, like if you're a foreigner, you're forever a foreigner. Even if you, you marry you, and right, you live there, you can't there, get the citizenship, no. right? You need to be like native bloodline yeah. Japanese. They're they're very like um, insistent on like the pure bloodline. Uh, that's why like adoption is like not a big thing in Japan as well. Like adoption is kind of frowned on because it's like oh it's not your bloodline. Um, so there's a lot of orphanages. Like I volunteered in one in my city. Um, but those kids were mostly like from abused families, so they take them out and they take care of them in the in the orphanage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Man, uh, I would never have known all this stuff honestly about yeah. Japan. I mean, I didn't know until I was there myself, right? I was, I had all these like ideas about Japan, and it's like, oh, it's so perfect. It's such an ideal country to live in. And then once you get there. And you like see all the behind the scenes and like what's under the surface and all the things that they're tucking away, you're kind of just like, wow, uh, maybe it's not that great. It, mm-hmm. I mean, I love Japan. Don't get me wrong. Everything is amazing. It's very easy to live in Japan as a foreigner, but I don't think it's easy to live as a native mm-hmm. Japanese person in Japan. Uh, yeah, we kind of put it on a rose pedestal, right? Yeah. We see the bullet train. We yes. see their animes. We see exactly. the technology. We're like, oh man, I'm gonna go there. Exactly. Those um, are all great, but they come at like a, a cost. very steep price. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know to close off. Yeah. Um, would you go back to Japan? Mm-hmm. And what do you miss the most? Okay. Do you mean if I'd go back to live there, or would I go back to work there? Well, I think you already answered if you go back to live, which is no. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll go back to live there. Well, like, would you go back to teach? Uh no. I think I'd go back there just to visit. I'd stay like maximum like two months. That's really? the longest. But I'll visit often for sure. I know because mm. I've I've made like lifelong friends and there's a lot of colleagues and a lot of students that I definitely want to go and see again. But I don't think it's a place I want to work in because of the work culture. Mm. It's not something that I'm okay with. It's not something that I support. It's not something that's gonna help me in any way or because for me, yes, I get the privilege of being a foreigner and having all the benefits that I could have here. But like watching all my other coworkers suffer like really really like made me mad. It made me really yeah. It's it's really uncomfortable. So I don't think I'd wanna work in Japan but Definitely visit, definitely, like, yeah, keep in touch with all the people. So so what was the driving force that, you know, made you come back home? Okay, so I was actually considering staying a third year back in uh, November last year. But my parents got into a really uh, bad car accident in November. So I had to decide. I was actually praying to God and like, give me a clear sign. Should I stay or not? Because I was kind of debating because of all these issues. Right, right, right. Uh, but I could save more money if I stayed another year. So that, that's, that's where I was, right? So when I prayed and I was like, I need a clear sign and I was still deciding, 
Uh, my parents got into the car accident, so I was like, okay, thanks, God. <laughs> right, you knew you had to come back yeah, home. To, you know, I had really to come back you. to help. There's no way I could be okay with them being here. Because they can't really go back to work for a while as well. So I don't think I would have had a peace of mind knowing that, living in Japan. So. Right, because you're far away from them. You want to yeah, be able to take care of them. Exactly. So both of them, they're in okay, like stable condition? Yes, they're recovering. They're reco- my mom is slowly recovering, but my dad is doing a lot better. Um, so yeah, uh, they should be good. That they're going to therapy. You know, they're getting the mm-hmm. help that they need, and I'm here so I can support them, take them to the doctors, and do all of that. Yeah. All right, that's good to hear. That's good to yeah, hear. Yeah, you yeah. Know. <laughs> Their health matters at the end yeah, of the day, and like exactly. you being there to you know, like, because I feel like the older you get, the more you realize that yeah, you know, like friends and all that other stuff is fine, yeah. but like you really see the value of your family a lot more yeah because now you realize how much they've been doing for you all these years because you know we're adulting yeah <laughs> adulting is yeah, hard you, you realize all the struggle <laughs> been, is real out here yeah <laughs> <laughs> they've been doing it for years you know very selflessly so it's definitely time to give back mm-hmm. yeah all right so just quickly so um you know, like, what do you miss the most about Japan? Uh, what do I, oh, I miss the food. <laughs> I miss the food. I, lo- I, lo- I have so many good friends in Japan. I miss them so, so much. A lot of the families and, like, the kids that I met, I miss them so much. But, yeah, I, like, complained to my family, like, five times a day about how much I miss Japanese food. It was just so accessible, you know? Like, you can go to the convenience store and get cooked food for, like, super cheap and... Like, I didn't have to cook at home all the time. And even the food that I would buy and, like, you know, put in the microwave, it was really good. So, mm-hmm. I miss that. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, there you have it. Make sure you go to Japan for the food. No, I'm kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the culture. <laughs> yes, the culture. All right, CC, it's been real. It's been good to catch up with you. And yeah. uh, I hope that, you know, in your future endeavors, you get to do more skydiving and other stuff yeah. in Asia. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was really fun.